0: Ladies and gentlemen,
1: Five, prepare four, for Liftoff. Three, two, one.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to Liftoff by Bottle Rocket. I'm Peter Clayman,
1: And I'm Tony Dosat. Today we're joined by the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Button. Before Button, he was the head of mobile at Venmo and co-founder of AppLaunch. And we are talking about of course, about Chris Maddern. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today on Liftoff.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here.
1: I'm particularly happy to have you here, aside from all the things that I just mentioned in your little bio, but also because on your LinkedIn um, account on okay. your profile
0: <laughs> he's
2: yeah like, that's right oh. we stalked you just a little bit <laughs> here so we go he's like oh no i
1: haven't seen that in years no <laughs> right so it says that you're excited by hard problems great experiences and wine and if people could see this podcast they would see I. it looks like wine bottles behind you or is that champagne i don't know what it is but you like the finer things like hard problems great
0: experiences and wine all the finer things in life for sure um yeah and on a couple of occasions in my life, I've gotten to kind of intersect them. Um, I worked on a wine discovery app for a while and um, oh. helping you catalog on catalog the things you've been drinking and, uh, and and find your next great bottle. So it's always fun when those interests get to intersect.
2: You know, and before we dive in, what are you drinking this week?
0: That's a great question. So I'm actually going to a friend's for dinner this evening. Um, they put together a little three course menu. And so I'm doing a little pairing against the three courses uh, that they prepared. So probably a little bit of pinot, um, some Cabernet, probably California, um, and then probably a soterne for dessert.
1: You're not kidding.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm still drinking rosé and it's after Labor Day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> rosé all day, all year. So let's, oh, get, down to, let, let's get down <laughs> to some stuff. Okay. Before we get started, could you just inform all of us listening, tuning in, what is Button? What do you do?
0: Yeah, although Peter shed so much excitement about what we do, I was kind of hoping he'd give it a go before me.
1: Oh, so oh. P- so just context before I unleash the beast. So <laughs> the context is before we start recording, we chit chat, we get cute, whatever it is. And Peter was getting very um, excited about Button. So It Peter, was amazing. He was
2: pitching me Button. It he was. Awesome. Look, I, he- I'm a huge Button fan. I have to tell you. And I'm a Button fan for a variety of reasons. So, Chris, I might be way off base here, but you tell me, reel me back. Go for it. At its very core, Button is a way for those who want to do commerce to find not just people who may be interested in the offering, but also to connect to customers who you only pay for once they have actually done commerce with you which I think is really innovative. So the easiest way to think about this is this notion of pick pick a major, you know, pick a client that I'm allowed to talk about here, Chris. What would be one major client Uber. that I'm allowed? Uber. If you've so, ever heard
1: of them. If
2: you've ever heard of them. There's, a, <laughs> there's about 30 sites out there that Button has relationships with. And these would be called publishers. Uh, these sites are sites like, um, give me a couple of sites that you have publisher relationships with. Uh, Rakuten Rewards, Flipboard, Ibotta. Yeah, anything like that. And if you ever seen like, you know, the your corporate marketplaces, things like that where there are offers extended to you, Amex is a great example. Many of us have American Express. American Express has, you know, membership services. And sometimes you get Uber rewards or you get $30 off your Target purchase or whatever. Well, what Button does is it makes it really simple to have publishers on one side, the Ibotta's of the world, where you extend an offer. So if you're Uber, you will say, I'm willing to get a brand new customer that's never used Uber before, and I will pay up to $13 to acquire that customer. Of that, some amount of that price goes to the publisher for hosting the content. The rest is returned back to the user in the form of a discount. And you can do variable discounts. You can do A-B testing. It's really slick what you can do from the technology side to enable all that. When you go to Ibotta, you'll see this Uber offer. You'll click it. It'll deep link you to App Store. It'll wrap you into the Uber application experience. You go through. You have a discount code. You order your first car. Only after you have completed that successful first trip and you actually have utilized the business's services, whether that's buying a product, using the service, whatever it may be, does Button and the publisher get paid. Now, what I love about this is it's no longer a CPC world, right? You're not paying for awareness. You're paying for actual real customers who use your services and are willing to make their own assessment of what it's like to buy from you or use your service or whatever it may be. So it's it's like the slickest showroom floor ever, in my opinion, in that you actually get to get customers and you're paying for a cost per acquisition.
0: How do you do? Can I hire Chris? you as a spokesman?
2: This is amazing. Please, uh, <laughs> this is this is awesome. Uh, yeah, so like
0: you hit so much of it right on the head. So like at the at the very highest of levels, we believe that it's going to be commerce, not advertising, that's going to drive the next ten years of kind of paying for the internet. And in order to do that, we need to great, create great tools for publishers to integrate commerce and shopping into their experiences. We need to build great consumer UXs to like help them go through those shopping journeys. And then we need to build kind of the economic and revenue model to make all of that money move around. And that's what we've been building for the last uh, six, seven years. You really hit kind of a lot of the um, nuts and bolts of what we do uh, exceptionally well. Uh, so I'll just add one more thing, which is we've really uh, focused on the idea of personalization in this um, you know post purchase uh, affiliate world on a, on a CPA basis where this industry has just been left behind for the last 10 or 15 years in terms of becoming way more personalized, way more um, experiential. And so that's where we're spending a lot of our time right now. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for answering my call when I put you on the spot there. That was truly amazing. <laughs> hey, I don't I'm, think I could always uh, give as good an answer as you did.
2: I'm, I'm happy to do it because I really like this notion of giving choice right? For me, that's the biggest thing is how do you provide more tools in the arsenal? In this modern world, there's so much noise when it comes to actually starting a net new service. The more ways you can cut through that noise, bring people in, show them that first free sample. And it's not free, right? We're still covering a portion of the costs of render the services and whatever that is but we need to be thinking about customer lifetime value way more and that's what we have on average like that's the biggest challenge for our clients is what are you expecting from a customer lifetime value perspective and how much would you be willing to pay to find customers just like that and you provide one of many tools that we'd like to see deployed to do things like that
0: yeah I really liked your analogy the uh, what was it the best demo showroom or, or something like that and it's kind of crazy to me that in 2020, brands have been convinced by Facebook and Google that they should be paying like mm. 70, 80, 90% of their presumptive lifetime value of a customer up front just to get them in the front door. It's a crazy world. And what I love about this model is essentially your ROAS is your input, not your output. And so you don't have to speculate on that lifetime value so much. You can understand that you know, it's in everyone's best interest to best activate the customer because that's when everyone gets paid.
1: That is just like wildly true. What you said there about these massive social media platforms have convinced industry that this is the way. So here you are. How do you convince them otherwise?
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple pieces to that. Uh, number one is it, it doesn't hurt to be cheaper and to be kind of performance-based. Uh, yeah. So in our case you know give it a go is a pretty good argument because you know we're saying hey give it a go there's a little bit of work to do up front but in terms of cost you only pay when you get sales you only pay when you get installs mm. driven we're going to prove it before you actually have to choose to kind of spend at scale in the channel which is the opposite to someone like facebook where it's like your first 50,000 dollars of facebook advertising spend doesn't work because you haven't learned how to run the campaigns right or like how to get enough retargeting data into the platform. And so you assume you're going to spend 50 grand before it even starts working right. Um, this is kind of very different. It's you know right from the get-go proving that that value and incrementality.
1: Boom. <laughs> I, I just imagine all of the people out there that their bread and butter are designing these ad campaigns for making people stop when they're scrolling on Facebook. They're just sweating and shaking in their boots with something like button <laughs>
0: Uh, you know it's it's uh it's a piece of the pie like as as you guys were saying i don't see a near-term path to advertising in its current form not existing what i'd like to see is you know if you look in uh, china and out east a lot more of the revenue from the big platforms is coming from direct consumer engagement it's in shopping payments on platform versus just like straight up selling the eyeballs of the users that they have and I'd love to start to see that transition to a healthier mix. Like maybe it's a third, a third, a third subscriptions, commerce, and advertising. Whereas right now we're at 95% plus um,
2: advertising revenue for the big platforms. Mm. I think the thing that people miss though is out east, as you describe it, it's a whole different world. Like the whole, all the players are different, the ecosystem's different. What we mean by this is this notion like WeChat. We don't know much about this. There's like, what, 2 million users of WeChat in the United States. In China, oh my goodness, there is no ecosystem outside of it. If you want to do commerce, you do commerce in chat. And and that's like a whole new notion that it's so easy to bring someone through the entire funnel without them ever leaving this platform that you have to build for the platform. Whereas here in the United States, the whole goal is to come off-platform to go do commerce at your own site. and Wow.
0: Essentially, what we hope is that a platform that kind of connects all the apps better together can give you the economic model that you see in a WeChat where you can be driving purchases and making that seamless, but without kind of the homogenous verticalization that you see where, you know, everyone has to build inside of the single app with kind of mini web apps that fit in there. So kind of like a the China model, but kind of with more of a... Uh, Western American kind of take on individual businesses uh, building their own audiences.
2: I'm going to throw a curveball up in here, which is this notion, okay, it's COVID-19. And one of the scariest trends that at least I'm seeing from COVID-19 is that the barriers to entry are actually rising. And you're seeing a consolidation in the middle and, and you know, large enterprise and middle market players Because like QSR and Restaurant, which is a game that Tony and I play quite a bit, you need a website, you need an app, and you need to have curbside, and you need to have on-prem, and you have to do all of them really, really well. Well, that's extremely expensive for a firm that's just starting out. Do you see tools like Button leveling that playing field and assisting for the future innovation firms, the ones that are, you know, tiny and want to grow? Or do you see it more as an enterprise tool? It's a great question.
0: Today, we're an enterprise tool. um, We largely work with the bigger businesses. I I would love to see a world where anyone can come, get onboarded, self-serve. I think that's where we can really see it as democratizing access to customers. Like, I don't think we can say that we are really accomplishing our mission until, you know, a small direct consumer startup that wants to, you know, get their product in front of the right 1,000 customers can kind of do it across our platform. Today, that's just not how it operates. It's interesting, like COVID, I I was on a podcast recently and we were chatting about this a little bit. You know, any change edge makes opportunity and adversity. And particularly for businesses that were existing before, they were existing on like a whole different set of assumptions and a different kind of operating model. And that change creates uh, a, a lot of hardship for them potentially some will survive, some unfortunately won't. But we've also seen the highest rates of business incorporation that we've ever seen during this period. Periods like this also create new opportunity. They create um, an environment where entrepreneurship is embraced. So I I think we're going to see a net positive of kind of small, medium-sized businesses come out of the whole thing. Um, I think right now we're at the trough of, you know, the hard bit, which is, You know, we've lost some businesses that weren't, either were particularly unsuited to this environment or just couldn't operate through it for one reason or another.
1: Since 2008, Bottle Rocket has been helping companies acquire more, engage deeper, and grow faster than their competitors. Industry leaders like Southwest Airlines, Chick-fil-A, MoneyGram, and Frito-Lay trust Bottle Rocket to provide business strategy, product management, experience design, product growth, and technology services that drive business results and solve unmet customer needs. To learn more about Bottle Rocket and subscribe to the newsletter, visit BottleRocketStudios.com.
2: Many of us now are starting to reconsider, at least I hope, I hope that our episode on TikTok has made some people reconsider the notion of what engaging in the internet looks like, paying for the services you get over the internet looks like, managing your data and privacy. How do you think some of these trends are going to come together to change commerce and this notion of how you bring people, bring from awareness all the way through consideration, all, all the way to the end of like loyalty and advocacy in a world where privacy dominates as one of the main driving forces?
0: And our CTO says something which uh, really resonated with me. And I repeat it a lot, which is, you know, you have the regulations and you have the law. And the truth is, if you're talking about what you do and don't do in terms of the regulation, typically you've already skipped four or five steps of like, does this seem like the right thing to do? Is this what the user is expecting? Is this going to feel like a great experience for the user? And if the answer to all of those things is yes, 99 times out of 100, the answer is, and of course, that's also okay with the regulations, because that's what they're there to protect from, you know, there are always edge cases where that's not the case. And, you know, in particular, right now, with the kind of intersection between Apple's own first party privacy efforts, the GDPR and CCPA, and then like anything that you might be doing independently, there is kind of a, an unneat overlap between those things, which I think is causing some challenges for some businesses. But generally speaking, <clears throat> ask yourself, like, is this good for the user? And does the user expect this? And those things overwhelmingly you actually can do and can continue to do as long as you disclose and and, and have it clear to the customer. So I, I'm with you. I'm hopeful. Like, I, I don't see it as a big challenge, honestly.
1: I'm going to get a little fluffy here. So right. if you were to ask someone randomly, for example, a neighbor, whatever it is. Hey, do you like problems? Presumably their answer would be no. Right. But I go back to, I go back to your LinkedIn profile and you are excited by hard problems. Why do you love hard problems? (laughs) Uh, If
0: the answer was obvious, it's probably not worth doing. You know, take it to, you know, something like a Venmo or something like a button you know, it wasn't clear that the world wanted to operate this way. Mm. And, you know, we thought it was better in both cases and all these cases, but it, the path from, Hey, let's like connect all the apps and make that an economic model and try and make that prevailing into economic model of the internet. It wasn't kind of clear what the foot in front of foot in front of foot path was from, you know, where we were starting to where we, where we were, where we were getting. And so I really enjoyed that bit. The, what would it look like to try and get there and how do we get there Uh, so much so that I think one of the things I find harder is when a problem is solved, sticking with it and executing it is, you know, sometimes not the most fun thing in the world. It's like, okay, we know how to do that. It's just work. Can someone do the work please? Um, But the, I don't know how to do that. How do we figure it out bit is the bit that's fun for me. And so, you know, fortunately I've been able to partner with folks across my career, who are really, really good at the other bit? Like I think finding people who counterbalance you and, you know, understanding how you work and what excites you and kind of where you operate best um, is really important to then go find people who, you know, complement that well.
2: So I think I think you're talking to three of those people, or two. Well, the three of us are all the same person, <laughs> and I, I bet many of our listeners also probably would identify that. How do you find a good operator? Like, how does one actually find a a strong partner to help operate businesses that are ready to scale?
0: I always hated this when I was younger. um, And I've been trying to operate my own businesses since I was very young. And a lot of things felt like they'd be easier later in your career. And this is one that's absolutely being, as you go through your career, you just collect that grab bag of people that you'd work with 100% again. And as you go from company to company, position to position, that grab bag gets deeper. And so, you know, new opportunity, like, ah, oh, I know the person I need on this. You give them a call, you're like, I just, I need you here doing this thing with me. Will you do it? Um, and that's kind of how we, how we formed the Button team. Like we'd worked with previously, most of the first few uh, team members at Button, like we know that you're going to you're going to be killer here um come do this thing with us
1: I got to say Peter I would work with you again I think we I, should keep at this Me too <laughs>
2: Me too I, You might you be know, at the bottom of my grab bag but you're in my grab bag Peter <laughs> I'm just honored to be on the list Tony <laughs> 20th or not you know I'm good with it
1: <laughs> Oh boy Well you know I think the core of this going back a little bit is Without problems, curiosity doesn't exist, you know? And I think curiosity is one of those things that drives innovation, that drives thought, that drives a, re- a restlessness that I think that you possess, Chris. And I think that you're exemplifying in what you're trying to do and are doing successfully with Button.
0: I feel humbled to be included in a, in a group with you and Pizza.
1: We're in the grab bag? Is that what you're saying?
0: We're, I don't we're know. I think that's... Grab buddies. that, buddies. Would podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
1: I do have one more question for you that we ask every guest. But first, where can the listeners reach out to you, experience button, all the things? Hit us
0: with it. Yeah. So for personal, um, at Chris Madden on Twitter is probably where best to find me. And oh, you, you can find use out the more. socials. You're a social oh, man. I'm an unsocial man except for Twitter. And uh, I'm a, I'm a big Twitter fan. Um, And then you can read more about button at usebutton.com.
1: And that will be available in the show notes, everybody. So now we all know what it's time for. It's that last question we ask every guest, which is, by the way, Peter, do you want to take this? Do you know well
2: enough to ask it? I'm going to try, Tony. I'm really going to try. All right. So Chris, what is one non-digital thing that you own or possess that has brought you the most joy? Or most impactful to your life, and why?
0: I'm curious for an example of something that someone possessed but didn't own.
1: Own or possess? So, say for example, you're. Po- <laughs> All right, you're <laughs> possessed by the spirit, but you don't own the spirit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't
1: know. I don't. Well,
2: I- no, no, no. I mean, like, hey, sometimes you could maybe rent a four by four on the beach. Okay. The- is it is in your possession,
1: but you don't own yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. We're okay. in possession
2: of. Okay. All right. Temporarily so. Some experience. You know, we're all millennials here.
0: Yeah. Of all time. Yes, sir. Of life. I think probably the most impactful thing in my adult life uh, that I have physically possessed is my ticket from Heathrow to New York when I decided that I was going to move to America. Um I spent a little bit of time here over a few years. I went home, back to London, and then one Tuesday decided wow. that I was going to move here and flew on Friday, and then I lived here. Wow. And uh, that was definitely a big,
2: impactful thing that I, I never looked back from.
0: That's huge. Yeah, that's my
2: answer. Yeah, what's your NPS score of America since then?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm more tolerating America than recommending it to friends right now. Uh,
2: <laughs> um, a solid five. A solid five. Uh, hey, uh, all that means is we have to convert you to a seven, and you're going to be the best evangelist oh ever. Oh God. <laughs> yeah,
0: don't, yeah. Don't. Don't know. I'm recommending to friends right now, but.
2: oh we laugh because we also think there's some truth to that oh man well this has been a fun episode chris thank you so much for
1: coming on and hanging out with us giving us some knowledge bombs i know the audience is going to love it and uh i look forward to having you back in the future
0: i would love to come and chat i hope i'm in your podcast grab bag
1: boom you're in it